The reviews are in, and Secrets is a hit. Listeners have described Secrets as priceless information, a personal cheat sheet, and binge-worthy career advice. And Season 3 promises to bring you even more secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get that coin. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to Season 3. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, what's on your mind today, my brother? Hey, KP, man. I wanted to start out uh, today with a recent email that we got from a listener who appears to be at her wit's end in her quest to get a promotion with her current employer. So it sounds like a familiar story that we've heard before, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So in that email, she says, I was listening to a few of your past episodes to see if I'm missing something in my own career when it comes to getting promoted to the next level with my current company. I've asked what all needs to be true to get to the next level. And I'm told to hit specific sales targets and you'll be in line. I crushed that goal and then there is an excuse for why I'm not promoted. I then go on some visible, I then get onto some visible global or enterprise projects that put points on the board for the company. And that doesn't seem to uh, do the trick either. Finally, I have assembled some very reputable leaders on my personal board of directors who have influence and can move the needle when it comes to promotions at my company. And that still doesn't seem to work. KP and PR, be honest with me. Is it realistic to think that this promotion will happen at my company or am I just chasing a mirage? (laughs) okay kp if this ain't a real question or a dilemma brother i really don't know what is no it's true and it's a real great question i'm so glad that she uh is bringing this question to the surface because it needs to be talked about but ricky this sounds like one of those stories from the cartoon remember uh, charlie brown and lucy she'd be (laughs) holding the football and she's like come kick the football charlie he'd be clowning him every time he'd come up and kick it and then she'd move the damn football every time and he falls on his back yeah that's just what that feels like and no matter how much of a running start he got he could never ever get his foot on that ball and he just kept kept falling kept falling kept falling and and, and look in corporate america kp we know that some of these leaders are infamous for sending you down like these imaginary paths, telling you what you need to do to be able to get to the next level um, and to be able to get promoted. And like our listener said, that elusive promotion can seem like you're chasing a doggone mirage, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're going after this water, right. you know, mouth on dry, you get on over there, man, and there ain't nothing to be found, right? So I'm glad she brought this to light because again, I'm we always say to our listeners, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. <laughs> you're not crazy. You, you're, you're definitely not crazy. And to help us answer this question today that she brought to the table, we thought it'd be great to have two bona fide superstars from our Secrets Leadership community to tell their stories that were ominously familiar <laughs> in their quest to get to different levels in their own careers. So today we have Delema Nichols and Alex Gums on the show. And they are true superstars. And if you don't know them prior to hearing them today, if you didn't know them, buckle up because it's about to get real. So, Jalema, Alex, welcome to the show. Welcome to Secrets. 
Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited and I'm honored to be here. And I'm thrilled to share the mic with both of you guys and with Alex. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to not only sharing some secrets, but also learning some new ones today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I can always keep learning. Got it. Yeah, man. Thank you guys for having me. The question really resonates a lot um, with me. And I think um, just chasing that mirage on a personal level resonates, um, but also I fueled quite a bit of calls for many of my African-American colleagues. And this one comes up all the time, right? Um, I keep getting told I'm going to get there. I do what they said. And then I'm not getting there. Right. And that's just unfortunately a very common story. Yeah, look, well, look, I I mean, I think, uh, look, Keith and I have both been through this thing and, and, and we are very familiar with your stories. And we knew that you all being able to be on the show was going to be able to have a message that would resonate, you know, for people. So again, welcome Jalema and Alex. And this is definitely an episode that I have been looking forward to delivering to our Secrets listeners for quite some time. Because again, I know that your stories will be able to motivate others to spot the warning signs when the goalpost just keeps moving on them. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> and in today's episode, we'll talk to Jalem and Alex about their path to the top, their self-discovery and some of the challenges and triumphs they continue to face while climbing to the top. We'll also discuss what it's been like as a Black and underrepresented leader having to work twice as hard only to get half the credit. We all know that story. And we'll provide some receipts on the lack of leadership promotions for Black and other underrepresented groups that ultimately cost the economy trillions of dollars. And we'll close out with secrets from Jalem and Alex on what you can do to be intentional when it comes to being promoted or finding a role that is in line with achieving your career aspirations. Hey, so so let's just kind of jump into this, Keith. You know, Jalem and Alex are the shit okay yeah. like so like we we know it you know what i mean so we, we want everybody else to re- uh, realize this too okay so but can each of you do us a favor and just take a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on your backgrounds and your pedigree right like this right here is getting ready to blow people's mind yeah. when we talk about like their pedigree i want our listeners to understand that we are talking to some very accomplished individuals. So, Jalema, let's start with you. Let, let's talk about, girl, where you're from, where your mama and daddy from, you know what I mean? Like, where you go to school, like all of that kind of stuff. Talk to us. I'm gonna give you, I will give you all the deets, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, as you said, I'm Jalema Nichols. I am a proud daughter of Oakland, California. So, shout out to the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. I'm a pharmacist. Yeah, yeah. I'm a pharmaceutical sales and marketing leader with 15 years of progressive experience in a Fortune 500 pharma company. I started my career in pharma carrying the bag. So probably some of your listeners have been sales reps, and that's how I started my career. I was fortunate to do really well. I won multiple like President's Club awards, and I progressed really quickly to become a leader in the organization. I was a district manager and then later a regional director. So I've led multiple teams of sales reps in a variety of therapeutic areas. I've also worked in the corporate headquarters. So I've had that stint that a lot of people strive for, you know, that project of working in-house on a marketing team. And then additionally, I've had the privilege to lead leaders, which has always been one of my ambitions, leading leaders across 50 states, so the whole country, and then leading a very unique team of nurse educators. So I've had a a wide range of diverse experiences in pharma. You know, my commitment to my success and really like kicking the ball over goalposts, if you will, 
really stems from the discipline that my parents instilled in me around education. So for me, education has been power. It's power in my career as well. So um, as a Black woman in corporate America, it means a lot to have multiple degrees. It takes you far. So um, with that said, I have two Bachelor of Arts degrees, um, one in Japanese and one in sociology. I have a master's degree in public health, and then I'm still studying and I'm getting more education. I'm working on a doctorate of education with a concentration in organizational change and leadership. So I'm constantly growing and the goalpost, you know, keeps keeps getting a little bit taller, but I'm knocking it out. So that's my background. Keith, did she just flex? She did. She yes, it kind of sounded like she flexed on the man. <laughs> <laughs> we might see that pinky go up with that That's champagne right. that she's drinking right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. You can't wait to say Dr. Nichols. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Working towards it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, we, we appreciate it. And again, welcome to the show. So, Alex, do us a favor, brother. Bring us up to speed. Yeah, so um, yeah, I just feel like uh, really unimpressed after hearing that one. So, <laughs> give it a shot. Bro. Give it a shot. I'm going to just dust this thing off my shoulder real quick. But, uh, so I'm a Guyanese, a descendant from Guyana. Mom and dad are born Guyanese. They came over to this country. Just bring that up because they did a lot a lot of work to help pave the way for me. Uh, but central to that um, was education, right? Going to top tier schools is mandatory, um, sort of not an option, right? So I went to uh, Columbia for undergrad, worked on Wall Street for a while, doing investment banking and venture capital, you know, M&A work, things like that. And then I returned to Columbia for my MBA. So graduated there with honors and then joined the healthcare industry. And I worked in healthcare for about 20 years in total. Uh, my roles have been highly varied. So I've been in leadership programs that have had me in marketing functions, both upstream and downstream. I've also done the sales thing too, Jay. So carried the bag um, as well as a sales leader, both on a national scale and regional scale. I've done that too. Yeah. And I've just uh, kind of been moving, moving progressively in my career moving up a, a notch or two and currently sit as a national vice president of sales for, for my organization. That's great. This is amazing. I'm trying to tell you. So, we'll tell so, you. We're, so, so we're, we're talking about, we, we always talk about having receipts, mm -hmm. but we get people on the show who have receipts. Have receipts. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so wow. as we're talking about what you all have been able to accomplish to some of our listeners are like, Oh, wow. Wow. That, that can't possibly be, you know, something that I could achieve or this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, y'all part of the village, right? Mm -hmm. and, and everyone goes through, you know, something, you know, here. Mm -hmm. And these are really amazing educational and professional accomplishments. So we told you season three, we were bringing the heat. We are bringing <laughs> some true, true unicorns to the table for you to hear from this year. But I have to say, with all of these credentials, you know, there was a, there was a statement in my family, at least growing up, I think it's pervasive in the Black community that you have to work twice as hard to get half the credit. And I'm just curious if you've experienced that yourself. Do you even feel like you've gotten the credit that you deserved at this point? Just talk to us a little bit about that in terms of does that statement even resonate with you and, and how it's played out for you? Yeah, for me, Keith, that that really strikes a chord um, because that has been my experience. You know, I sit from the seat of a Black female in corporate America. So my experience has been unique in that I've had to work extra hard, like super duper harder than my peers who are black or who are not even female. So even with the accomplishments I've had, you know, my, my organization, many times I feel like I'm not getting the credit that I have earned. Right. 
So I've had to take myself out of my comfort zone a lot. I consider myself an assertive person, but I've had to up my level of assertion and really call people out in the moment about, you know, giving me my credit, articulating my credit. I know a lot of people can have speak from experience of, you know, your peers or even your leader taking credit for the things that you do. So I've had to like call people out in the moment, you know, in a very professional, you know, way, of course, but makes basically, you know, standing my ground and making sure that people hear that I'm my own best advocate when it comes Mm -hmm. to getting the credit I deserve. Um, And then I've just had to be like super strategic about seeking out support from senior executives who can help me to get that credit. So a lot of the time, you know, as a black female, the assumption is, you know, other Black females who are senior executives are the ones I should go to because I naturally would gravitate towards them. They look like me. And oftentimes that can be true. Other times that can be false. Um, and it can be for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe their bandwidth is so wide that they don't have the, uh, the, the strength to support me in getting that credit. Or, you know, maybe they don't think or believe that I'm in a position to get the credit. You know, it could be a variety of reasons. But My main point is, as I'm striving to get that credit, it's really about me forming strong connections with executives who are willing and able to help me, regardless if they look like me or not. It doesn't matter. I just really embrace that support and lean all the way into it to get that credit. No, that's great. No, we we, we appreciate that. And I mean, again, we talked in other episodes about the Black woman being the most disrespected, you know, woman, right? I mean, this is from Malcolm X and then in as many times as people may want to act like, oh, that was just him being provocative and this, that, and that. We have proof that it continues to happen. So, so we appreciate you, you know, talking to us about having to do more work to get half the credit or to actually do things that other people like your peers may not be doing just to be able to get in the door. So Alex, brother, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, you know, uh, that experience for you? Yeah. So it really resonates. And I would say sometimes these things are perceptions. In my case, it was overtly told to me, right? So when I say that, um, I was speaking to my leader who was was supposedly my sponsor at the time. And uh, we were talking and he outlined the time frame that was sort of in front of me, right? And he was doing, well, you need to be in this role for another four years and this role another three years and that role for another two. So I started just doing the math and I said, hey, you, you realize by... The, the time I get to the big job and at this organization, it was the general manager role. I would have been in the organization for about 20 to 22 years. Right. And I said back to him, I said, you know, you promoted two people to that role within 10 years. And I said, that is literally, and I actually told him very upfront. I said, that literally is what we're fighting as a people is working twice as hard in this case, twice as long to get to that role. And, um, you know, what really resonated with me, the question that was brought up by your listener was about the hurdles. And that's one reason why uh, the timelines always get pushed out. So some of the hurdles that were put in front of me were, you need to carry a bag, right? So um, at this organization, a lot of the leaders have come, have come out of marketing or R&D, and not all of them have carried a bag before. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, like, I have to carry the bag, huh? It doesn't seem like everyone here has to. And uh, that leader actually told me, you know what you really need to do? You actually need to be in strategy. That's your gaping hole that you're missing. You got to fill that up because you've been in downstream marketing and the field roles. You actually haven't been in this big picture strategic thinker. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, going through my Rolodex of all the people who had, quote unquote, that big job, him included. I was like, not everyone had a strategy role. Not everyone carried the bag. I had to relocate a bunch of times. Um, so I've been yanking my, my wife and family around for many years and not everyone had to move. So you put all that stuff together um, and even educationally, right? Not all those folks had uh, MBAs from or two Ivy League degrees, as in my case, a lot of these folks were out of college, let's just say, and that's it. So you put it all together and you start saying to yourself, yeah, that these rules uh, seem to be somewhat different and, and seems to be malleable depending on who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's painful to kind of hear some of those stories because, I mean, we've all had some conversations where depending on who you talk to, the time frame may have been different. You know, the, uh, the, the hurdle that you had to jump over may have been a little different. So it's almost like the leaders weren't ever really on the same page. It was somebody was just telling you what they wanted to see you do, <laughs> you know, basically. Or, or telling you a task that was going to delay an action for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think um, one, of, one of my favorite ones along my route was, in order for you to get that sales manager role, you're going to need to be a President's Club Award winner. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, again, went through all the all the sales managers I'd seen and not all of them. Actually, I'd say the majority of them had not won President's Club as a sales manager. And as you guys know, it's sort of perverse to even think that way because your best salesman doesn't always make your best sales manager. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, those oh, two yeah. aren't always correlated. So it was, it threw me off, but anyways, I got, I got that. Um, I got the president's club and all these awards, actually the two awards I received had never happened in company history back to back. So rookie of the year combined with sales rep of the year. And I went to the leaders and said, all right, well, you threw down a gauntlet, you gave me an impossible task. I was feeling like John Wick at the time, you know, <laughs> you guys gave me an impossible task. I'm going to have to go do this. I feel like, uh, forgot what they call that guy, Baba Yaga or something. So I'm like, Baba <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was told, well, actually, no, you need to sit in the role longer. And I asked, how come? They said, well, you probably have a lot more to learn about selling. And I looked back at the individual and I said, hey, by the way, the scoreboard that I'm looking at is the one that you designed, right? It's not me saying I'm the best in the country. It's your scoreboard that's saying that I'm the best in the country. And I think if anything, at this stage, I think I have more to teach than I have to learn, given the accomplishments I've had. Um, that sort of had a lot of cross-eyed looks and 10 heads coming around me or whatever the expression is. Uh, and I said, yeah, this, this this is very interesting how this is all playing out here. That's true. And Jaleem, I'm just wondering if if you had some of those very specific examples that your functional leader may have told you. Oh, yeah. I, I needed to take on roles that required me to relocate. That's what I was told, which is why I initially went into marketing. You know, I had the in-house opportunity that required me to relocate. I was also told that even though, you know, I was doing really well and I was exceeding goals, that I needed to take on more projects, you know, that would kind of around me out. And it was interesting when I was told that by a leader because I was, as I mentioned, not only exceeding goals, but I was killing it on the projects. And, you know, some of my colleagues, most of whom did not look like me, were not being given special projects or they weren't they were doing proficient, mediocre in some cases, the work in, you know, the same job. So it was it was really it was daunting and it was very uh, discouraging at times, to be quite frank. And the other thing, you know, I mentioned education is so important to me. Well, I've had a leader tell me that my education and my degrees really were not, you know, critical for my role. I wasn't really bringing much to the table. Like either either you need it, either you need it, 
and you got to go get it right and we can't help you out but now it's like well you got them okay i, I know what i said you got them but now it's like it's really not necessary so it's kind of right. like it's kind of like you keep coming back remember when i used to tell you my mom used to tell me to go look for the purple uh paper clip yeah that's the <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have no purple paper clips in the house, man. She just needed some time to herself, man. So they telling you to go to go do stuff. And then when you mm -hmm. do it, it's not necessary. Ah, you got the wrong degree. I mean, look, exactly. You got the wrong dollars later. You got the wrong degree or something like that. Yeah. So really discounted, you know, my, my efforts were discounted quite a bit. Education was discounted. It wasn't enough or it wasn't the right degree. And, you know, really, you know, devalued kind of, you know, my, my efforts and devalued my position in the organization. And I had to fight against that, you know? So yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to my brother Alex here <laughs> on some of some similar experiences, but, you know, we're a testament, both of us, to the fact that these things can be overcome. You know, it takes, it takes the right things, right people, but you can overcome these things. And that's the encouragement I would give to, to everyone. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so funny because I mean, I've, I've grown up in finance, finance and operations, especially in finance, there's no black people in finance, right? And one of the things that always crushed me was somebody challenging your calculation, right? Are you sure that calculation is right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> did you check that? Or did you have somebody else check that to make sure that that it was okay? Now your job is to, is to, to add, to, to carry the one. That right. is your job, right? <laughs> You are in math. You are in math. You carry the one. You, you carry the one. That's what you're supposed to do, right? That's right. All, all that kind of shit. It just drives you crazy. Just drives you crazy. So, but to that point, though, Keith and I, and I know you all um, also know all too well about these obstacle courses that corporate America sends us through that often ends up having us be in purgatory, right? Like we're Again, we're talking about the education, we're talking about relocating, we're doing this. And once you're kind of out of sight, out of mind, they kind of forget about you, right? Until you bring it back, you know, to them. Can you all talk about some of the ways each of your skills and abilities have been challenged or even questioned, you know, perhaps by like some of your leaders, peers, and even like lower level, you know, employees, because everyone has an opinion of what they think you should be doing. And maybe we'll start with you, uh, Jelena. Yeah, that, that question cuts deep. I think I was starting to answer it a little bit when I talked about the, the degrees, but I've had the, the opportunity to lead some really sharp teams, people that I was able to really inspire, which I'm thankful for. Um, and then as a result of inspiring these teams, these folks were exceeding KPIs, key performance indicators. They were blowing the numbers out the water. And so some of my leaders and even my peers thought that we were doing something wrong. Like we were, you know, like how could this leader get her team positioned to blow these numbers? And so, you know, that that's a little disheartening because people are questioning, you know, my skill set and my leadership. The other thing is, you know, when it's taken a while to get to the next level for me for a variety of reasons, you know, leaders saying, stay in this role another 12 months or take the special project. There's just, there's been a lot of, you know, costs to that. I think you were touching on this a little, Ricky, but obviously it hurts my pocket <laughs> like, financially. Like it, it hurts my income. And, you know, that's something that never sits well with, with anybody, I would think. Um, and it hurts my generational wealth, you know, that I'm trying to build for me and my family. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing is from a personal branding perspective, you know, when these leaders or peers 
you know, really question, you know, your ability to overcome these obstacles. Personally, sometimes your brand takes a hit. You know, you're sitting in a role for like three years when other people are getting promoted in 12 to 18 months. So people may be looking at you from a perspective of like, you know, what's happening here? You know, even though you're doing so well, why aren't you moving to the next level? And, you know, you you have to be your own best, best advocate, your own marketer. So you have to really show up with the compelling story around why you stayed and continue to do well at the same time. And then the last thing I share is like, from a cost perspective, you know, mentally and emotionally, I don't care who you are, what gender, you know, what race, mentally, emotionally, there are emotional costs to this. When I became a leader, when I had my first district manager job, one of my mentors, she she recommended, you know, get yourself some emotional support, whether it be a life coach or a therapist, because I lead from a servant leadership standpoint. So I'm always giving, giving, giving. But, you know, just to really make sure that you are not sacrificing your mental health, you know, along the way. So it costs to have a therapist. <laughs> it costs to have a life coach, but it's definitely worth the investment. So, yeah, you know, if I could jump in on that, Jake, I, I uh, on the emotional cost piece, again, as I've fielded, uh, I want to say probably upwards of 30 calls from people or more about the mirage. Right. And I think the mirage itself has a massive emotional cost, emotional toll on the people that I've talked to and even myself included. And the the way I describe it is it's insidious in that it really causes you to look in the mirror and question what you see, right? And a lot of these folks are really rattled down to their bone because they're saying, well, you gave me a sales number to hit and I hit it, but I didn't get what was promised to me. And there's this inequality that sits sort of inside of us. And we start trying to fill that in with, well, if I did what was asked, but I'm not getting the role, maybe it's me. Mm-hmm. And the maybe it's me piece is really a real rough one that I found. And I, I had to coach quite a few people say, look, it's not it's not you. Right. It's it's uh, just the rules of the game and how they've been applied. And that's really one thing. So the emotional piece really resonates with me. And then um, as far as uh, to the question, I got two examples. One of those, to your point earlier on, Jay, about sitting in a role. And this one was almost humorous when it was said to me. But one of the things was, hey, Alex, you know, you're bouncing around a lot. And, uh, you know, and by the way, I hadn't been moving around in roles any faster than my counterparts, my white counterparts in particular. And you know what you need to do? You need to take a page out of my book. I sat in a role for seven years straight. And I said, interesting. And I was thinking about the role that that individual was talking about. We're talking like a C-suite level job, right? So this person basically was like, look, man, I, I had to sit in for seven years. I had a effectively make $20 million. You know, this is my play. Now say, you know, like, like, wait a second. You're, I am uh, the victim. I am yeah, the yeah, victim. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wait, are you even listening to yourself? Because I actually pointed out, I said, the role that you're asking me to sit in is substantially lower than the role that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But if you want to pay me that money, I'll sit in the same role for that period of time. Right. You know, so I thought it was kind of humorous to see how like, uh, how it was sort of being applied without seeing the broader context of what was going on. And then um, as far as being questioned on what I do, um, in one of my roles identified uh, effectively a $1 billion market and said, hey, here's one way we can go after a certain market. And um, that market would have effectively doubled the size of the business that we're in. So this is this was like a real discovery. But through that, it was, well, I, I don't know if this is real numbers. Can you help me understand it? So they had 
not only did I have to hire a consultancy to validate my work, so the company spent money to get a third party to come in and basically check to see if my I, I carried my one appropriately and all that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Then, then it was, okay, well, that was validated by them. I still don't believe it. Let me put this other person on the project who I like and trust, who happened to be um, a white person. And I said, you know, this is really interesting because after all this time that's elapsed, we still came to the same conclusion that market exists. And you've not only heard it from an external consultant, you've heard it from your internal confidant, in addition to me, but because I was one of the originators of the ideas, it was one of the things that was, that was questioned pretty aggressively. Unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy. <sighs> that is unbelievable. So Rick and I, I think we talked about this on one of the episodes that we had. I had this moment where I just had enough, right? <laughs> and I said, okay, enough BS and decided I was going to leave because it was, it was just too much of this BS that you're just talking about, right? So what was the, kind of the final straw or culminating event for you that kind of gave you the courage to bet on yourself or be more intentional about reaching your career, career aspirations? So I, in around that time that I was given that twice as long uh, metric that I already alluded to, uh, I was basically told, hey, if uh, when this person moves from this one role in six months, you will get the job. That person moved in six months to the date. I didn't get the job. Um, and all the people who were close to it were still in roles. So it wasn't like, hey, Bob, Bob told Sally and I wasn't around when Bob told Sally it's Bob and Sally were in the same room with me. Right. So it was all the same constituents. So that was where the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but I'd say what happened, I think it, that was sort of a set of series of events that took place that I said, okay, like this is quite clear. And the one thing I wanted to really impart on the group, which I wish I had done earlier on um, was this notion of congruence. And when I talk about congruence, it's what the folks that you're talking to say and their actions that they take, right? So if you do this one thing, you will get this outcome. If you deliver this to, to Bob, you will get that outcome, et cetera. And I think I started seeing incongruence kind of quite early on in my career. But what I did is I sort of failed to recognize and listen to it, right? And that was, that was the mistake that I made that I wish uh, our listeners here don't make. And it really hit home when I had a friend of mine come to my, uh, to my house, he was having a tough time at his company. And he basically said, and it's the first time I ever heard it positioned like this, but it, it struck me um, in my heart, which was, you know what, Alex, I'm really tired of trying to convince these companies to love me. And when he put in the context of finding love, it was kind of like um, in some certain cases, it's almost an unhealthy relationship that we engage in with these companies, right? Where we're, Oh, you know, let me, if I take out the trash and clean, then you'll put a ring on it, right? You're, you're sort of keep going down this path of trying to seek for further validation. And I think I should have gotten out of that, just realized I was in a bad relationship, so to speak, just to run the analogy um, earlier on. No, no, I, I, I appreciate this. Story. I mean, and it, and, it, and it starts making me think about LL Cool J when he was like, I need love. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I, I feel you know, Alex. No, I mean, I, I completely understand. We've all been in those situations where you, it's like that aha moment, right? You wake up one day and you'd be like, what's the point? Like, what are we really doing? You know, or something mm -hmm. like that. So I resonate uh, with your message in terms of like that straw that broke the camel's back. What about you, Jalema? Like, what, what, what about you? What was like that? that incident that where, where it was the culminating event or that scenario that made you say, you know what, I think I'm done. 
Yeah, well, very similar to Alex. You know, when I started in my organization, I was in an individual contributor role and I was doing really well. I was doing special projects, winning awards, and I had made it very clear to those who had influence to get me to the next level that I wanted to become a leader. And so basically they were like, well, keep doing more of this or keep doing more of that. There was always something extra like we've been discussing. And I was seeing people get those leadership jobs who hadn't even won a single award or hadn't even you know, done anything intentionally to get the job. It was very, it was very mind boggling to me. So I kind of just got, you know, ticked off. And I was like, I'm going to be even more strategic than ever. Like, I think I'm a detail oriented person, but they better watch out because now I'm about to have spreadsheets, receipts and everything. (laughs) And I got so focused um, that I created like a very detailed plan of networking, you know, having consistency with my network, you know, really creating a story for myself. And I'd like to say I became my own branding agent and and it worked. It really made a difference because in a very short period of time, literally a couple of months, I had super senior executives in the organization calling me and offering me these leadership roles. And they were Mm -hmm. like, pick a geography. Like I didn't even enter. There was no formal interview that was even scheduled or conducted at that point. Pick a geography. And so, you know, the fury that I had, you know, really paid off. And, you know, I got into a leadership development program as well. Uh, It was a highly sought after program that most people try to get in multiple times and still don't get into. And, you know, that was kind of the second event that fueled me even more. Because when I sat in that room with 100 people across the entire globe of the organization, And I knew some of the faces. And once again, I knew that there were certain individuals who hadn't done anything to earn the seat in that room. Most of the individuals there did not look like me either. And so I felt even more fueled to continue to be strategic, continue to implement that plan and bring people like me along the way with me, you know, bring them up. So, you know, final straw, but, you know, one that really propelled me to to help myself more and eventually to help those who I led and coached in the organization. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are both like like powerful stories. And Keith, it just just makes me think again, we I know we we probably didn't even put enough on it, you know, to say how much extra shit we have to do just to get noticed, just to get in the game. You know what I'm saying? Like how much stuff you have to do. We're talking about knowing everybody's plays, you know, not just knowing what you got to do. You got to know everybody's plays. And then when you finally get in there, let you just breathe wrong. It's like, God, come on out. Jalema, come on out. You know, keep getting there. <laughs> you know, something like that. You know, so last question I kind of have for you all is, you know, since you both were able to realize that, you know, the images of a promotion that you all had hoped to achieve earlier in your careers were actually like mirages, right? And we're and we're using the term mirages because it's, it really wasn't what they said it was going to be. How have you all been uh, able to be intentional about achieving your aspirations now today? And I'll start with you, Jalema. The story kind of continues, but it becomes more and more strategic over time. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, it's really about me being very intentional about where I want to be, not just the title, but the skills that I need to build in order to get there. Also, it's about me knowing, like really knowing my worth. And Mm -hmm. I'm talking about from an income and a generational wealth standpoint, 
you know, there's no better time for you to negotiate and, you know, really come for, you know, make them recognize your worth and your value than when you're made, being made an offer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is the time to like go for the gusto. And I've really been strategic about getting advice from those who've been down this pathway and showing up very confidently when I have to negotiate and be a proponent of my worth. So those are the things I would be intentional about, you know, or have been intentional about. And um, just continuing as well at this one thing, continuing to prioritize my own health and my family. Mm-hmm. Because without that, without both of them, I really can't show up as my best self um, in these in these organizations. So um, those are the things that really keep me, you know, aspiring for more. Got it. And before we uh, before we get to you, Alex, I mean, we have to admit, I know our listeners can't really see Jalema right now, but she did try to come correct though, didn't she? We we over here, we came, we came casual today, boy. Jalema got on her jewelry, man. She got on her green today. She got her hair did. She wasn't messing around, boy. So when she says she's showing up, she ain't playing, y'all. Jalema ain't playing at this point in the game. Uh, you're too kind. <laughs> yeah, now, Alex, if you can, brother, like, Tell us what, like, what are you doing now since that valuable and costly lesson, so to speak, right? What are you doing now to be more intentional about your aspirational goals now? Yes, I'd say there's two main things. I'll go with the number two on my list first, which is uh, implementing PI a little bit more thoughtfully. So for those of you who don't know, P is for performance, I is for image, E is for exposure. Um, and the, I think the literature says that only 10% of the reason why folks are getting ahead at their jobs is because of performance. But I do think as a culture, both from my West Indian roots, but also as Black Americans, uh, a lot of times we focus almost exclusively on the P. Mm -hmm. And then when I kind of came to that realization, I said, wow, I'm focusing 90% of my time on 10% of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. So being more thoughtful about image, how I'm perceived, how I show up, exposure, uh, Jalema had mentioned it uh, as far as you know, networking and being exposed, but also taking on assignments that make sure people get a chance to really know me, not just me on a, as a talking head, but me in, in the trenches with them shoulder to shoulder, right? So that's one of the main ones I've implemented. But the second one, um, back to the whole notion of congruence, I've really been thoughtful about sponsorship. And, you know, for those of you who, uh, I'm a firm believer that these things happen due to sponsorship, right? Not for any other reason. And when I see folks going from job to job, I used to not get it as much, but the way I've now rationalized it myself is what you're really doing is sponsorship hunting, right? You're going from one place to another, trying to see if you have someone who, who's willing to be that invisible hand, so to speak, and move you along the way. And I think that being really thoughtful about those two have been uh, probably my most, uh, from the tough lessons that you talked about, Ricky, but those two tough ones have been, that's been my biggest two takeaways. Now, I mean, this 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 is incredible, man, and and I really really appreciate you all, you know, being vulnerable enough to even really talk about these stories. I mean, I think I still have quite a bit bit of PTSD as you all are saying stuff. I'm thinking like to myself, I'm getting a little hot, right? But you know, I think the, this this part of the show where we try to transition into is because we get emotional talking about some of these things, and I think sometimes people say, "Yeah, I just putting a lot on it," you know, it really isn't like that. Well, this is the part, Keith, where we hit them with them receipts, right? Like, this is the you're not crazy part of the show. 
you know, we go back and we start talking about the receipts. So Keith, why don't you uh, summarize those receipts, you yeah. know, for us today? That's right. And this is the section where the one does carry. Don't ask me about my math. <laughs> <laughs> so today we'll, we'll show that Jalema and Alex's stories are common for, for many Black and other underrepresented employees in corporate America. And we'll share those receipts on how the disparities and promotional opportunities continue to plague underrepresented employees while the generational wealth gap continues. Ah, geez. So look, so receipt number one, the women in the workplace uh, report released by McKinsey and company and uh, leanin.org showed, uh, showed the women and particularly women of color are still woefully underrepresented relative to the population at every level of sen uh, seniority in the, in the corporate pipeline. From entry level hires to the C-suite, there are simply fewer women at every single level. With the disparities between men and women becoming more pronounced, the more senior they become. Promotion rates for men were nearly 10%, while white women had a promotion rate of 7.4%. AAPI women had a 6% rate, Latinas had a 5.8% rate, and Black women had 4.9% rate. So Keith, that's just what we was talking about early in terms right. of being the right. most disrespected. Yes. Like I'm not making the stuff up, and this was before. This is after that's right. Malcolm X proclaimed that. That's right. These is the receipts. These are the receipts. facts. These are receipts. Can't refute them. Can't refute them. <laughs> and talking the calculating, this is com a compounding effect because this is happening at every level, from entry level to the C suite. Yeah. That's a lot of damn levels to be going at 4.9 versus 10 percent. <sighs> so, and to bring that point home using that same report to look at that pipeline from entry level to the C-suite, representation levels for entry level roles look like this, Ricky. White men at entry level roles held 35% of the positions, men of color 17%, white women 30%, and women of color 17% for entry level roles, right? Mm -hmm. So once you get to the VP level, White men go from 35% to 56% of VP roles. Men of color, 13%. White women, 24%. And women of color, 7%. Then let's get to the C-suite. So white men, by the time you get to the C-suite, white men hold 63% of C-suite roles. Men of color, 13%. White women, uh, 20%. And women of color, 4%. So when you look from the entry level to the C-suite, men in general, go from 52% of the workforce at an entry-level role to 76% of representation by the time you get to the C-suite. And white men make an astronomical leap from 35% of entry-level roles to 63% of C-suite roles. Man, that's damn that guaranteed, man. You're <laughs> so, like, like let, let me play the lotto with them with them eyes. Right, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's like, come on, man. Come like, on. you you gotta win. Like, you you are set up to win. Yeah, you are to set win. up to win. Look, receipt number three, a report by Zoom Info in 2020 looked at promotion rates for public and private sector jobs. It found the same disparities that we just talked about in corporate America. Across the U.S., women comprise 47% of the workforce, while women make up 40% of managers at companies, only 20% reach the top spot of CEO. For every three men promoted to managers, only two women get similar promotions. 
while only one woman gets the nod for CEO for every four men. I mean, damn, dude, like they really don't want you to talk about this stuff. That's right. <laughs> they really don't want you to bring this stuff up. And our last receipt that we'll talk about today, a 2019 ADP workforce study showed that the promotion rates of women varies widely by industry. For example, in nonprofits and organizations and those similar type organizations, women make up 50%, 56% of the workforce and 41% of CEOs are female. While in the insurance industry, as an example, women make up 55% of the workforce, but only 15% of the CEOs. And looking at industries that employ the most women as analyzed by Zoom Info's database, the following industries offers the strongest options for women to be promoted to management and CEO. Those organizations include nonprofits and associations, schools and colleges, hospitals and government agencies basically caretaking yeah. type mm -hmm. organizations that are trying to change the world, right? At the end of the day. On the other end, on the other spectrum, finance and financial services had the worst rate of promotion for women and, oppor and opportunities to reach the C-suite. Look, Keith, like we said, we can't make this stuff up. When, when, when there are receipts coming out like this, we're going to always have something to talk about. Always. <laughs> you know what I'm always. saying? So look, let's go into these uh, secrets. And today we have a special dose a secrets for you. We're going to let Jalema and Alex tell you the following. If if they had the chance to do it all over again, what would they do differently today? And we'll also talk about what advice would they give to anyone who appears to be in a promotion mirage? Yeah. So Jalema, let's start with you, you know, for, for our first list, for our listeners, uh, what would you do differently if you had the opportunity to change things up? So for me, it's really about at least two things I would do differently. So number one is I would make sure that in my organization, people don't only know who I am, but they're very clear about my story, that they can support my story. They can articulate my story. They can provide more tools and resources to move my story along. And then the second thing is, you know, we talked extensively about, you know, advocacy, sponsorship, networking. I think it's really important to be courageous to do that within the organization that you sit in, but be equally as courageous to do it outside. Because the reality is you're not going to move far in your organization if you're sitting in the same position for seven years or whatever, you know, too long. So you need to be willing to be courageous to step outside and let other people see your value and your worth so that you can go somewhere else and continue to grow. So that's what I would have done differently. And I, I hope that helps some of the listeners out there today. No, it, it definitely will. It definitely will. Cause I mean, especially with the conviction that you have and like, we're talking about something that you've been through, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, experience and heartache. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> hey, hey, like, like my man said, I ain't telling you what I think. I'm telling you what I know. <laughs> you know so, we appreciate that. so what about you, Alex, what would you, you know, have uh, done differently? Yeah. So I think, and I'll first start talking about the interview process, right? So as I'm interviewing a bunch of candidates and coaching some people on my team to hire, uh, one thing that we talk about is, uh, especially if it's been a year past they hired somebody, I'll say, did you see something in that candidate early on that you ignored in that interview process? And what did you, what, what was really going on there? And I think that sometimes we try to see what we want to see, right? And, and I think it comes in, in that, format with the job. And what I'd say is a few. One, be really thoughtful about what's happening around you. 
So if you're seeing a mass exodus of people who look like you telling you that they had a shot, but they couldn't get ahead, really be thoughtful about that, right? And, and the way I look at that is um, a lot of times when we go through these challenges, looking at that mirage, our first thing to do is we look at ourselves in the mirror and say that we're the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I would actually say, look, look at the soil. Look at the soil of where you're planted. And are seeds that look like you, are they growing and flourishing the same kind of way? And um, I, I want to really punctuate that because for some of us, Jay and myself, uh, we're on a P&L path, right? Meaning we're the folks that aren't supporting decisions. We're actually trying to be in the room where we make decisions. That room is very different. It's, but if you take away, you know, as I looked at all the uh, attestation or forms that came out post Floyd, all these companies are really dedicated to making sure they have more black folks represented. But then when you do the double click on who's really running the company, normally it boils down a set of four or five people. And if those four or five people look nothing like you, you got to be really thoughtful on on where you are, right? So look at your soil before you look at yourself. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point I made before about pie, but investing in my brand and my image, I would have done earlier on. And I think I would have just been okay because I believe early on in my career, I had a lot of apprehension to do so was when can I pull this ripcord and like leave the company? And I thought that leaving a company was somehow a failure because I believe sticking it out and being tough and staying in the pocket was the way to go. But saying to myself, actually, that's not failure. That's success because I'm looking for a new soil for my seed to be planted in. Mm-hmm. Amen to that, Alex. There you um, go. Hey, hey, man, man, man. Man. Six a.m. <laughs> you know, that is Reverend, Reverend God, <laughs> <laughs> Reverend God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jalema, won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? <laughs> <laughs> Alex was killing it. Alex, hey, now we appreciate that. Like, look, honestly, that was outstanding advice from from both of you, and I'm sure that your younger selves would have benefited from from that advice for sure. And I know that our listeners will. This brings us to our final secret, you know, for today. What advice would you give to anyone who appears to be in a promotion mirage? Very similar to our listener who started the episode, you know, for us. Alex, let's get your perspective first and then we'll go to Jalema. Yeah, so a lot of this is really personal. And when I say personal, you may want to stay at your company because you have some really close confidants that are there. Maybe it affords you to be in a city that keeps you close to family and friends. There's a lot of things that go into it. I would be brutally honest with myself on what I'm willing to accept and set a timeline. Mm-hmm. And when I set that timeline, you you can there there is and could be some validity on a miss or two from what I was promised and whether or not it came through. But if you believe, and if if I say to yourself, set a timeline and say, hey, six more months is what I'm willing to sort of deal with or a year or two, whatever that number is that you're good with, with yourself, set that for yourself. And if what you expect to have as an outcome has not shown itself, it's time to find new soil, right? But in, in that instance, or, um, you know, you could kind of, I'd actually just say, really just think about whether or not it's worth staying. And that's why I think is really where a lot of people get wrapped around the axelon. And when I have those discussions, it's, but they're telling me this and they're telling me that, I would say focus less on what they're saying and more on what they're doing. And if you focus on that and set a good timeline, I think you'll be on a good path. 
Hey, Naira, your Jalema, give it to us. So Alex, you stole everything I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> this one is you to know. All right. um, so I am reiterating some of what my brother there has said, really just being very clear about what inequities exist in the organization. Um, we know what they are. So what's in your control? What can you actually do about moving that goalpost? Do you need to like kick it down? Do you need to build a new one? Do you need to help get somebody to help you to even get a new football? I don't know. But you need to be very clear about the things that you can do. And then in addition to that, like, let's not stick around forever trying to kick, you know, this football that keeps disappearing from underneath our feet or this goalpost that keeps getting taller and taller. Let's say, hey, self, I'm only going to be here for X number of months or years. There are other games to play and other games for me to win. So. That's what I would say when it comes to the mirage. You own it, you control it. Woo! She gave All us right. a, she gave us like a sister soldier she response. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in this. I'm, I'm in this. Kick the gold she, yeah, down. She's like, she ain't waiting. I mean, but I mean, I think we touched on a little some of this earlier in terms of like that generational wealth. And I know we talk about this to our listeners, but every time you sit there and you wait for your buttered biscuit, you know what I'm saying? You miss out, you know, on something. I think it's okay to wait. If, if it's warranted. And I think if you have proof that something's going to happen, but a lot of times we're waiting on a wish or a hope, you know, versus us actually having, you know, the concrete things that are going to help us out. Mm-hmm. If I could add one more thing, I do believe that if you put in the context, and I, I do use relationship analogies a whole lot when it comes to how we work with our, our organizations. And I had, unfortunately, I had a friend who uh, I grew up with in high school, and um, she was with a, an individual in his abusive relationship, right? Um, he was hitting her and that sort of thing. And I think, um, you know, the first little bit we would talk, she'd say, you know, it's just first six months in, you know, we'll give him a shot. I know he's had a tough time, X, Y, Z, right? And as time went on, this is, again, a high school friend. So we're talking like 15 years of hardcore abuse that she dealt with, right? And I think as you look on that continuum, we got us somewhere in there, you know, that person either is a victim or is either opting in, right? And I think that's some of the context that we should have is, do you want to subject yourself to an environment where you feel abused for a bit, right? And I think that's where, unfortunately, I've seen some of my folks uh, who I coach up and, and talk to is that they're electing to kind of stick around in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank, thanks very for sharing true. that. Yeah. yeah, that analogy is very powerful. And we really want to thank you for providing all your insight and amazing advice today. And the one thing that struck with me, there's so much that struck with me is, but really just raising that eyebrow and saying, you know, basically watch what they do, not what they say, right? <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's a big, big thing. So, yeah. So again, we sincerely, sincerely appreciate you being with us today. And hope you had a good time because we sure did have a good time with you. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I mean, this has been like an amazing, you know, uh, opportunity. So we appreciate sincerely both of you all, you know, for being, you know, vulnerable and being able to speak to your experiences also. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. That was great. And so if you... want to hear more about what we've been talking about today, you can always go to our website, secrets.com. Look in those show notes. We'll have other resources for you there to to learn more about what we are talking about today. Yeah. And, you know, look, Jelena and Alex, I'll add my thanks 
to the two of you as well. I mean, we just, again, we appreciate you all being supporters of Secrets and more importantly, being part of the village, okay? I also wanna give a very gracious shout out to all of our listeners and fans out there because without you, this would absolutely not be possible. Lastly, be sure to write a review on Apple uh, now we do read those reviews, okay? We absolutely read those reviews, and we uh, and we be laughing when we read some of them too, because we're trying to figure out now who said that, you know? Because everybody got their code names, but we also want you to buy some merchandise, man. It's starting to get cold out there, so make sure you get you some of this uh, this merchandise and take a picture of you with your merchandise and just and tag us, you know, when you do it, you know. We want to make sure that uh, we keep getting stuff out there that you like. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, we like to clown and have a lot of fun on the podcast, but again. This is all about you getting your coin. As Jalema and Alex talked about, building that generational wealth. Don't be sitting in purgatory too long. Don't keep chasing that barrage because this is really about you getting your coin, getting paid, building family wealth for generations to come. So check out our coaching services. If you need advice from us, we'll come to your organizations and, and do some training with you. And we're going to have some online courses coming soon to talk more about this. And and, and, uh, one last thing, I just, again, want to thank Jalema and Alex again for just spitting all that truth today, right? These mics are smoking right now. And if you didn't know my sister and my brother before today, you definitely do now. That's right. But right now, we need to make sure that we take care of these empty cups because it really ain't cool having a mirage in these babies. You know what I'm saying? So thanks for listening to Secrets, everybody. And remember, when we share, you transform. Peace. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from KP and PR. In fact, one listener said that Secrets makes me smarter every time I listen. And we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out on the web at www.secrets.com. That's www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Until next time, cheers!